fun. You don't know if it's going to take you to the next level. You never know if it's where it's going to go or how long can you keep it up for. But you know what, guys? We've made it. Episode 250 of YWC Football Talk. We are here. Presented, as always, on Bond the Crier Media Family of Networks. But you know what, guys? For today, we have a first-time guest. I've worked with this gentleman a lot uh, covering the Argonauts, and I'm going to go for the Italian route, pronouncing his name. Please welcome from Sportsnet, David Morassetti. There we go. There we go. He is here. David, how are we doing today? And hopefully I nailed the pronunciation. That's why I asked you purposely you're, on you're, Saturday's you were game. Close. You were close. Oh, Not bad. Oh, okay, I've had a lot okay. worse of attempts at <laughs> pronouncing my last name. Um, but I'm happy to provide the Italian flavor for today. Love it. And folks, for those of you wondering, David does work at Sportsnet. He also hosts Locked On Leafs. And as well, like me, covers the CFL as well, which we're going to get into. Today's going to be a bit of a uh, double whammy, if you will. And we'll start off with, obviously, there's the Grey Cup rematch, but there's a lot of fans out there, notably Winnipeg fans, that are saying all this stuff about, like, Argonaut stat padding, or, oh, why shouldn't Chad be playing? That's a buzzkill for the game. I just wish a lot of these people would see that this team has a long-term outlook on the season that you and I get to see whenever we get down to BMO Field. Well, I mean, the Winnipeg Blue Barns did the same thing a few years ago when they pretty much had first in the West all locked up. And Zach LaRose, well, and, and at that point, I think Zach was a little banged up, but they were like, let's let's rest him. Why are we playing him in all these games down the stretch? It's also Cameron Dukes has only played really one game. Give him a chance to know that he's going to start a game and he's going to go up against a good team. That's a good opportunity for him. Your backup, you need to see what you have in your backup, right? Yes. Down the stretch. This is a perfect time to get a guy like Cameron Dukes in. Because we've only seen Dukes mainly apart from the game he did play uh, in the quarterback sneak role. So he has gotten a few touchdowns on the year. But the fact that he gets to start this big game, this just like the limelight on him. Obviously, look, we're putting the matchup out of the side pretty much. And we know this from Saturday that Peters isn't playing. But also, too, I saw today on the injury report. Winter McManus doesn't look like he's going to be playing Friday night either. So this team has a goal in mind of not only do we want to be there November 11th that they already are, but November 19th, we want to be in Hamilton as well. Yeah. And so one thing I I always say about the schedule too is, you know, the CFL kind of did this to themselves in a way. Yeah. Because why is the Grey Cup rematch happening at this point in the season? Right. Do we need to see the Argos play Hamilton four times in a season? No, probably not. Like they have so many. I understand for divisional records and things like that, it actually does make a difference to have these games like this. But I'm also the belief that you don't have to have these many games. You know, Toronto only playing Winnipeg once, and it's at this point of the year. That's tough. Like have this matchup earlier in the season where both teams are, you know, they're they're gonna be putting their foot forward, their best foot forward, going 100%, right? Not at this point in the season where, you know what? Injuries could be happening. There's no guarantees you're ever going to get a perfect matchup in football in any given week, right? So that was the other thing, too. And, yeah, the the Argos are thinking long-term. They're not thinking about we got to put our best foot forward for one game against Winnipeg. I know they always go with the one week at a time. But they also know if guys, if they have the ability to give guys extra time, like a Jamal Peters, like a Chad Kelly, well, Chad Kelly's not really dealing with an ish, injury issue. No. More so, why are we giving away a chance for Winnipeg to really read what Chad Kelly can do and play against that defense that's actually really good as well? 
Yeah, it's that, but then also too, it's like not playing AJ against Hamilton, where it's why do we want to put the risk of injury? Because we know, and I'm blanking on the name of the one uh, Winnipeg defender right now, number four, um, Nick Nick's Dembski. Um, you think of Nick Dembski? Yeah, Nick Dembski. No, no, sorry, Adam Big Hill. What am I? I got the wrong. Yeah, Big Hill, Big Hill. That's it. Um, like that's the thing where like and I look at a guy like that like why do you want that guy like if Cameron Dukes gets sacked by him and hit it's fine but if Chad gets hit and goes down the wrong way then boom like your season's not done but it takes a huge huge hit so that's how I see it too like we we're saying earlier with AJ plus two no Andrew Harris but Deontay McMahon looked good Saturday night and with this as a whole like with the whole league you are right like when it comes to this game I probably would have scheduled it when Toronto played BC back in uh, July, that Canada Day weekend, that Monday night standalone, if you had done this one, say both teams, I think were two and zero at the time, or or three and zero. I'm not sure what Winnipeg's record was off the top of my head, but if you had done that matchup that early in the season, you know it just adds a little bit more spice, a little more flavor, if you will, to the CFL season and Canada Day weekend. I know, like the, the CFLs tried to save some of their better matchups for the summertime the summer games but i also think that the the candidate weekend is one where they should be pushing i like the cfl did the monday night game for the argos partially because of scheduling partially because they they want to do it for tv i get all that but you know they should have had an argo winnipeg game a lot earlier in the season even and you, there's no reason why in a, in a when you have an 18 game season that you only play a team once. Yeah. That's the other issue. You're only playing this game once. That just like um, Calgary and Hamilton only play once, and Calgary didn't, and they messed messed missed the opportunity to have Bolia by Mitchell play in Calgary. Well, obviously he was hurt, but that potential return to Calgary. Those are things that drum up storylines, people giving people extra reason to go to a game. Now, yeah. uh, if you're a, a Blue Bars fan that's upset that this game sold out and you're not going to see the best matchup possible, it's unfortunate, but the Argos aren't there to fulfill that. They're there to look after their own interests as well. Exactly. It's, it does sound selfish from a standpoint of like a fan, like where Winnipeg's like, oh, we want to see the rematch, but at the same time, too, you have to understand. If you're a Blue Bombers fan, you want to see this matchup in Hamilton, November 19th, September 30th. Like, it, it is what it is. Um, that's, like, the other thing, too, the season, like, you're right. Like, Hamilton played Toronto. Well, when Hamilton played Toronto, it's not like they were spaced out either. It was, like, June, July, Labor Day, and then, obviously, this past Saturday. So, we have to – hopefully, they get a better schedule for the 2024 season, but that's to be determined. Um, fun fact about this game, though, when I was looking at it from the, the betting perspective, this is the first game Toronto was an underdog in since that week four matchup against the BC Lions, believe it or not. It's interesting. It, I wonder how much of the line changed with Chad Kelly not playing. Right. Significant. Right. It was a significant change in that regard. Like Winnipeg's still a good team. I understand the Argos are 12 and one. Winnipeg is 10 and four. And in some ways they're playing against harder competition. I, I I know the East, a lot of the teams have better records, but the West have some pretty good teams as well. Like the Lions are good, right? The Rough Riders, they were good, and they're kind of back and forth of being a good team and not being a good team. Toronto, they're twelve and one, deservingly so. Like they're kick, they're beating teams pretty good, 
but you look at the East, like the competition, I don't know if it equates exactly to what the West is, but I think, yeah, if Chad Kelly's playing, this is not a game where the Argos should be considered. I think it would actually be close to being an even matchup. I, I do too, 100%, because like, even when you're saying that with the East, um, because like you look at it like Ottawa, like all year they had their couple weeks where they were like, oh, is Ottawa something? But then we kind of come to learn not so much. Montreal is like very Jekyll and Hyde. And then Hamilton, all of a sudden, they'll have like a run where they have a few good games. It's like, hey, we're good. But then they have like a stinker like Saturday night where they could get nothing going. I view, uh, I want to say I view Saskatchewan in that same light, but I don't just because I feel like they did have something. But then Labor Day was like the peak of their season, like winning that game in overtime. And then the next week you get your doors blown in by Zach Kalaros and then... Like you said, I like ultimately when it comes down to this though, it's going to be I feel like one of Toronto or Toronto versus one of Winnipeg or BC and Hamilton. But then again, Hamilton could shock the world and somehow they're they're trying to break their twenty four year curse. Yeah, it's it, the mad the the storylines in these are always always fascinating, especially when there's two teams that don't play against each other that often and. When I look at when I looked at this matchup, you know, during the uh, when I was planning for the year, like this is a matchup I always I always like to see how the two teams kind of differ from the last time they played each other in that Grey Cup. Because like, let's not forget, Chad Kelly wasn't starting in that nope. game. He was, the, yeah, right. He came in in the fourth quarter. We also have there's a lot of changes with the Argos. There's a lot of changes, even it's not a whole lot of changes with like. But I'm I am curious to see though in this game, now that Chad's not playing, does does Winnipeg respond a little bit and say to themselves, now maybe we hold back a little bit on what we want to do. I feel like if they do that though, that's probably gonna be a recipe for Toronto going thirteen and one as opposed to twelve and two. True. Yeah, where it's like, you know what? I feel like if you're Winnipeg now, go out there and show the world, hey, we're ten and four for a reason. We're this good team, and look, we have the Greek Cup champions who've basically been unstoppable for most of the year. I know there's been a few hiccups with them, like the Calgary game, most notably. Well, both Calgary games, if you think about it, and then Montreal two weeks ago. But besides that, this team's pretty much been borderline unstoppable for the whole year. You're going to have the, some of those games. In a lot of ways, I say the the biggest uh, enemy for the Argos right now could be themselves. Yep. When you see some of the games that they've lost, it's because they're making mistakes. It's not necessarily what the other team is doing. Even in the games that they were close to losing, like I, I look at back at that Calgary one, it was a lot of what they were doing and not what was Calgary was doing. Calgary was exploiting things that they were doing. So I do think that there's a little bit of that also. There was a mix of that, and then also in that game, Reggie Bagleton just kind of came out of nowhere and had like three crazy catches. But at the same time, too, if it wasn't for the league return, which I still say this with the NFL, get rid of the fair catch rule. If you want to know why, go watch Javon Leak highlights. Um if it weren't for that run back, we don't know if Toronto wins that game. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I think when, when everyone asks me about what's the one thing I like about the CFL over the NFL, it's that the CFL doesn't have the fair catch rule. Even if it doesn't always look, look pretty. It's just the idea that every time a kick happens, something, a play, a big play could happen. In the NFL, most of the time, it's like, all right, where's he going to catch it? All right, he's going to down it here. In the... Like, it's almost like, why bother punting half the time? Because other than trying to pin the opponent, it's almost like just give the ball to the team on the other side of the field. 
Exactly. That's just, that's just it. Um, before we move on to the next game, quick question. For, not question, just want to ask for opinion. Do you think we see Chad next Friday night at BMO Field, or do you think they'll probably bench him for that one as well? I think I think this is I think this might have played a little bit into it. I know that the team's not exactly they like Ryan Dinwiddie's not thinking too much about you know helping the Argos selling tickets. I think there's a little bit of that. Like I think Ryan Dinwiddie understands that this is the big game that they've been planning for all year. They're bringing out a bunch of old, bringing a lot of alumni to the game. They want fans to come. Well, how are you going to get fans to come if you're going to finish the starting quarterback? So I think that played a little bit into this. I think they figured why play Chad Kelly. They said it was a short, it's a short week. They mean short week in preparation. Whenever yeah. you hear a coach say short week, it's not the amount of time in between. It's how much practice you can get in for that next game. So I think that played into it as well. Like it's a shorter week. They also may want to not. They, the other thing that I remember Ryan Dinwiddie telling me is that, you know, if Chad is playing, our starting offensive linemen are playing. We're not, you know, sitting guys to give them rest. Yeah. Chad's going to need the O-line, right? So I think that plays a part of it, too. They may want to give some guys a little bit of rest and bring put some other people into positions there. I don't see the Argos. It would be a big blunt blunder on the organization's part if Chad Kelly's not starting in the game they view as one of the more important games of the regular season. Exactly. From a PR standpoint, which you got to put them out there because you have the mixes of it's Thanksgiving weekend. It's your 150th celebration. I know they're playing Edmonton, but at the same time too, it's one of those things where you have to look at it from a standpoint of what makes sense, both on the field and off the field. And even your point about preparation, because like, obviously look, it's six days between Hamilton to Winnipeg, but then they get a full week between Winnipeg and Edmonton. The one thing that you made me say about that was Labor Day, because I remember I got to talk to Dinwiddie after that game, and I asked him, "Hey, you're playing on you played on Monday, you play against Saturday. How do you turn over the clock?" And he said, "Because we had ten days between Calgary and Labor Day, he got ahead on his prep for Montreal, and they won that game by twenty nine points. I think it was thirty nine to ten. Yeah, so the, it helps in that regard." Whenever they look at prep time, it's not just the coaching prep time, but it's also players being able to. Uh, yes, right. It's being able, having players able to be ready to go for that short turnaround as well. You know, different game, different game plans for every game. Right? They have to do different. Sometimes they have to do different. You know, offensive signals and things like that. Exactly. Exactly. So we'll ultimately see what happens Friday night, but this Friday night, but obviously folks, uh, David and I will be at BMO field next Friday night for another great installment of Argonauts football. Um, when I see BC Saskatchewan, I think BC's just kind of on a crash course to contend for the West. And I'm just going to say this outright. I think they, I think they take care of business easily. Yeah, I think so. I don't see that being, that wouldn't be surprising. Let's just say. Yeah. Yeah, like the nine and a half seems like an easy number, but at the same time, too, it could be a trap. Um, and then it Ottawa, Montreal. It could be a trap. You never know in the CFL. It's never given, but one team's going one way, one team's going the other. Right exactly. Now. And there's, some, uh, there's still a lot to play for. for BC. Like Jake like Jake Dolgal is still, like, he's been impressive, but like I said, too, I still think that Saskatchewan hit their peak on Labor Day at home. Like, that was just like, hey, their season kind of peaked there, and then from there, it's kind of been rocky riding. Um, and then Ottawa versus Montreal – this is talk about a game that can go either way just because I feel like with Ottawa, like you don't know what you can get, what you're going to get out of them. Like, cause how they beat Saskatchewan and then they almost, they should have beaten BC two weeks ago, but then 
the lay an egg in a random game. So for them, this is a game where I think for them, it's more about making statements ahead of next year. Because when I look at the East, you are, we already know October, November 4th, it's going to be Hamilton and Montreal. It's just the where is it going to be played? And then it's, Hey, winner goes to BMO field on remembrance day. But for this game here, I, I want to say Montreal is going to win just because look, they got a big winning in Calgary last week, but then also too, I feel like with Ottawa, they got the win last week and it's kind of that, Hey, come not come back to earth, but in the sense of like you get knocked down a few pegs. Yeah. Well, looking at the Ottawa Montreal matchup, like Montreal had that really impressive win against Calgary. That's good. Now let's see you back it up because you just lost four mm-hmm. straight. You gave Hamilton that window. Well, obviously Hamilton losing to Toronto didn't help their chances, but second in the East is still up for grabs, no matter who uh, you know who you ask and then with hamilton it's like now you got an opportunity to do what montreal just did right hamilton's been playing better they still haven't been playing enough to convince me that they're a threat in the east especially offensively so yeah those are two matchups where you know i could see montreal losing that game just because ottawa's pulled off some pretty good efforts and then i could see hamilton dummying calgary or the other way around, like it's it's totally unpredictable with those teams right now. I, I, something in me has been saying Hamilton all week, just a rebound from that bad game that they had against against Toronto, obviously, which I feel like for them was a mix of Toronto playing well, plus they had some of their, their own self-inflicted wounds as well. But when, when you get a game like this, this is truly a game that for both teams could make or break your season just because more likely Calgary, I think, misses the playoffs. But with Hamilton – you got the Alouettes right there nipping on your heels. So for Hamilton, this this feels like a must-win game for the Ticats, where if they lose this game, yeah. it's one of those things where you don't know what the repercussions could be going forward, especially going into October. Yeah, you want to get home. Like If you're Hamilton, I know they haven't been playing great at, at Tim Warren's Field. You still want home, home field advantage for that East semifinal. I don't know many teams. I'd have to look back. But I don't think uh, there are many teams that have been the road team that have gone into those games and winning them. It's usually the home team that has the advantage in that East semifinal. Exactly. And Hamilton does have a bye, but they do have, I look right, uh, looking ahead for them, they have BC and Montreal to finish the season. Those are like, that's why I'm saying a game like this and the game this week. And then when they go to Saskatchewan next weekend, those are games where it's just like, you guys got to win because. Right now, you are. Oh, I gotta look at the stands quickly. You guys are six and eight. Montreal seven and seven. So if Ottawa gets an upset Saturday, six and eight, seven and eight, seven and eight, compared to being six and nine or eight and seven, it's just that's these gaps that you can't afford to build yourself. No, not at all. So it's interesting because I thought Montreal, with the way their season was starting, I didn't see them going to be a, a below five hundred team. But you go through a stretch where you in the CFL. I always say with the CFL, you can don't look too much at the record all the time when yeah. it's like this. Look at how the team finishes their season. Do they have any momentum getting themselves to finish the season? So, look, Montreal right now they're have they're having a tough time, but you know they're still five hundred. If they finish the season well it doesn't really matter what the record is because they, they they're still in the driver's seat when it comes to the comes to the second place in the East, even the same for Hamilton. Yeah. You're below 500, but 
if you go on a good run here and you finish the season strong, that doesn't really you're, you're, what you t- did in the beginning of the season won't really matter that much. Exactly. What happened in June does not mean as much as what happens in October. It's right. like even to looking at like how we're saying Saskatchewan, because I want to flip it to the other side of the coin. Um, obviously, we're saying Saskatchewan season's going one way, but if Calgary gets a couple wins here or there, it can really dictate how their season goes. So this game right here feels like one of those games where it's a playoff game, even though it's not like a playoff game. For both teams, it feels like a loss will really derail your season, for lack of a better word. Well, and, you know... There's a, there is a game between Calgary and, and Saskatchewan, second last game of the season, right? And for Saskatchewan, you have that game in th- you know in three weeks' time, and then you got in th- Saskatchewan finishes their season against the Argos in a game where you don't you're likely expecting a lot of the starters to not play. Yeah, those are opportunities right there to fin- to not only finish your season strong, but to finish to make sure you solidify that playoff spot. Yeah, because nothing is cemented for them. Calgary is just that's a team where they have such a good game against Toronto offensively. They win against uh the Elks on Labor Day and then two straight losses were they're back to what they what what I think they are and that's a team that's just not really getting it together on offense and I it's really surprising that Calgary has really gone down the toilet like this a little bit but as you said, they still got a chance, but they got to win out, and that's not easy to do with with you know, so few games remaining for them. And then, like like you said too, because they also play their last two games are BC and Winnipeg, which those like it, it's not like the Toronto narrative, like how you're saying Saskatchewan, where hey, you're probably going to get a Toronto with rested starters. There's a chance you're probably going to be seeing. Uh, uh, Brian Mitchell prop might even it might be him starting for Toronto getting reps because I know Ryan said that today in his press conference and also should be getting interviews on Friday. That's an inside joke for David and I. But um, for Calgary, like looking at their thing, you finish with BC and Winnipeg, which I'm sorry, those are two teams that are still going to be trying to jockey for first place in the West. So it's not like those teams are dead water weight. No, these are teams that have something to play for and it's something of meaning. So with Calgary, that's where I get the must win narrative from because it's look after Saskatchewan, you got the two juggernauts, you got a lion and you got a bomber, which is not fun to deal with for a horse. And I will say this, any Winnipeg fan that's still salty about the Argos not playing Chad Kelly on Friday, you're in a dogfight right now for first place in the West. Thank the Argos for maybe providing with a little bit of an easier matchup to make life a little easier for yourself. If if it's if people don't realize how important it is to get that buy into the playoffs, how important it is to win the division. That's why Toronto win the division so early was a good thing because now they can kind of, I wouldn't say coast, but they can plan things like this, right? Plan of when they want guys to get rest, plan when guys want to, when you want to really get them going again for Winnipeg and BC, this final stretch where the two of them go have to go neck and neck. It actually might hurt them more than benefit them because they might be so exhausted at the end of this because every game will mean something. It's it bodes well for um, you know even for Saskatchewan if if they have to go up against one or two. I know it's not an easy one easy matchup for whoever they go up against, but no guarantees either because they're they're going to be every team's got something to play for now in the West. 
that that's exactly it. Like every team has something to play for. And also too, for the buy, I know people like to refer like the NFL by how now it means so much more with only one team getting it. Think about it in the CFL forever. It's always been the case where there's this difference between first and second place, where if you get second place, you lose one game, you go home at least for first place. It's like what Ryan told us Saturday night, you have one game you have to win and then boom, you're in the gray cup. So you have two games to win compared to having two games to win the championship. So the Toronto set themselves up perfectly right now to where if a guy even goes after a game, like, hey, coach, like, I'm not feeling too well, like, or I got this nagging issue right away instead of just, all right, we'll try to play through it. It's a, uh, yep, no problem. We'll bench you. We'll take take care of it for a week, like take the week off and then go from there. Because even for Toronto, too, after this Winnipeg game, you have Ottawa twice, Saskatchewan, and Edmonton, which are teams that we don't think are going to make a playoff. So it's just boating up well for the boatmen. It's it's one of those situations where you have to have the right coaching staff to prepare for this, right? Yes. I think Ryan Dinwiddie, give him credit, he's he doesn't reveal a whole lot, but he's got a plan. Like they they he spends a lot of time going through so many different s- scenarios. So I think uh, I think they'll be okay. I know that it's not easy to have to navigate this you'd like to have more competitive games down the stretch but hey you also get the benefit of making sure that your guys are perfectly ready to go come playoff time exactly so november 11th when they're on the sidelines cold they're all healthy we're healthy but we're warm up in the press box so it's hopefully a win for them and it's definitely a win for us because like i said too we don't have to worry about the cold of bmo field during the game yeah that's also, you know, a nice little bon- added bonus there. I, don't, I was in when I was in Hamilton for the Great Cup the last time. It was I call it the wind tunnel. It was so cold. I was getting interviews, trying to get interviews on the field, and I didn't bring a jacket with me because I wasn't expecting to go on the field. So there's something to be said about it's nicer that it's going to be a little earlier in the year, so you don't get that December December cold breeze. Exactly. So it's like it's cool, but it's not like freeze your ass off cold. Yeah. And and look, fans are fans are prepared for it. They're ready for it, especially the fans out west. Exactly. And before we switch to the NFL, I want to ask you one quick question. So obviously there's the news with Carrie Underwood getting announced that she's playing the Great Cup Festival on the Friday night. For the halftime show, I stand in the boat of you get the best act you can. Don't worry about them being Canadian. As big as of a deal it is, I feel like if you get just someone who has a recognizable name, if you can get them in the Canadian, it's a it's a double win. But I feel like if you can just get someone big, it's a win. Like I feel like for this one, you don't have to go back to the Arkells immediately. Like how do you stand on that? I always prefer the the act to be a Canadian act. I I've seen so many different uh, halftime shows, like the Justin Bieber one when it was in Toronto. I understand why they did it. Didn't exactly hit the note for me. Um, Shania Twain, when she did it in Ottawa, was fantastic. It was kind of like her kind of kickstarting her her return to performing again. I I prefer it to be Canadian, but at the same time, I don't mind if they get a big ticket either. Keith Urban was fantastic when he was in Calgary a few years ago. I was at that Grey Cup, although I didn't hear much of the halftime show when I was in Hamilton. You know hear too much in that press box of what's going out onto the field. I didn't go down either uh, for it because 
I was too busy. <laughs> it's it's harder when you're working too because you're, yeah. you're focused so much on what you're working with. But yeah, it would have been. I, I think the Arkells got a bit of a raw deal when they did it last time because of COVID, and it wasn't this. This wasn't a, a true Grey Cup for a lot of people that went to that Grey Cup. So it would have been nice if the Arkells got that chance again. But at the same time, it's like how can you justify an act two years within three years, two times within three years? I would prefer it to be Canadian, but at the same time, beggars can't be choosers. Get a really good name, like getting carry on. I saw that initially. I thought it was a halftime show because of the way they announced it. And I said that's actually a pretty decent get for a halftime show, but yeah. just for a festival is actually that's pretty solid. I'm I'm hoping that they do have a good halftime act and they're just waiting to roll it out, and that it's not like last year where it felt like that was kind of put together you know, by the skin of their teeth. Yeah. Like where they waited until the last minute and they grabbed anyone who they could. Cause that w- it wasn't a memorable halftime show. Um, I, I like, don't get me wrong. When I say like, I prefer the big ticket over the Canadian, like you want Canadian, but at the same time too, you should always try to shoot for the moon. I have an act. I would like, not like to see. I just think it would be funny if they did this year. Cause they've kind of resumed their careers, but also to they are Canadian. That is Nickelback. So I just feel like it'd be, this whole thing where you just get some people who would love it, but then you get some people who would hate it, even though deep down, I feel like everyone listens to Nickelback, you know, it just like, it's one of those like funny things. It's just a band name that came to the top of my head. If you want to go Canadian. See, the thing is I have a friend who's really huge on Nickelback and it's, he does it in an annoying way and on purpose too, which makes me hate Nickelback. I don't hate Nickelback. But I also think uh, it's not, you know, there's a lot of good acts out there. Yeah. You don't have to go and get Nickelback. You can get some pretty good ones still. S- someone in the press box on Labor Day said it in a funny way of like, oh, they should just get that to piss everyone off. It was um, it was Frank who said it. So it was just one of those things that it was just, it'd be funny if they did it. That's all. Yeah. I'm trying to think of like who's on a tour right now or who's someone that wants to really push out whatever they're they're trying to do. I know Nickelback was at Boots and Hearts. They were at TIFF. So I don't know if there's anyone else like I could. I mean, if they got Nickelback, I'm sure they'll they'll get some reaction. Maybe they'll maybe that's something that they want. They just want to get the name that's gonna grab a lot of headlines and and social media reaction. Exactly it. I mean, if you wanted to really shoot for the moon, there is one Canadian act you can get, but I feel like we would never see that. Obviously, talking about Drake, it's just like kind of speaking into existence. Yeah, Drake. I, I, I've seen I've seen people ask for Drake. Uh, I've had one person say, "Oh, why not get the weekend?" Somebody somebody um, jokingly said, "Oh, go get Taylor Swift because everything she touches turns to gold." Um, I think Taylor Swift's got a little bit of a busy schedule right now, <laughs> especially well, on Sundays now. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, and also too, for any new listeners to the podcast, what we're talking about right now is Canadian football. So there's American football, but there's also Canadian football, which we recommend you guys check out because there's multiple branches of football out there. I just, you know, you gotta, you gotta take it down. Cause obviously with this new crowd coming into football, you have to do that, but no, any of those acts would be amazing. Cause obviously Taylor Swift, I think is when the great cup should be next year. She's actually at the Rogers center. So I feel like she'll be like, uh, no, no. So if you, if you want to do it this year, shoot for good, it'd be a good opportunity to shoot for the moon, but ultimately we'll wait and see what the league does. Yeah, I hope the league uh, gets a good act because they were they've been they were ridiculed pretty bad last year and for good reason. I don't think it was a good act. It, it's I mean, country is not for everyone too. That's the other thing. You try to find a good mix and blend of what works. For 
like, I mean, I'm a country guy. Like I like, I like country music, but at the same time too. Yeah. It's not, it's one of those ones. It's not everyone's cup of tea. So you just gotta learn. Like you gotta do something that makes every, you gotta do something. You may piss some people off, but you gotta do something that makes everyone happy. Exactly. Yes. But anyway, Canadian American crossover guys, there's a whole slate of games. And also too, for anyone, I'm going to say this for the Swifties listening for anyone wondering what these numbers are. These are gambling numbers. So what this means is if you see a minus, it means a team has to win by a certain amount. But if it's a plus, it means that they have to cover a certain amount of numbers. And also OU is over and under, which means it has to either go over a certain number of scoring points or under a number of scoring points. So that's just for all the Swifties out there. Because look, we always welcome a new audience here, especially when we're 250 episodes deep. But we get started with tomorrow night's game, actually. Green Bay versus Detroit. Like, obviously, neither one of us are fans, but like, where, if you had to pick for someone in this game, where do you lean? I mean, Detroit right now, I like, I like how they, they're playing. They're not, no, they're not perfect, but they're, they're the one team in that NFC North that I feel like should be, they should be the runners, you know, in the driver's seat for that division. Packers are, are doing better than I expected. I mean, it's mainly because I, I expected Minnesota to be a lot more competitive than they have been. But Packers, you know, other than the the win against the Bears, the other two have come by one point, right? They weren't exactly inspiring performances for me. Detroit's been playing more. I call it more inspired football. I have more confidence in what Detroit can do. That's a better team. It's probably going to be the tough one of the tougher teams that Green Bay is going to have has played to start the season. I mean. The Lions have already played the Chiefs. They played the yes. they played the Seahawks. I know they lost that game, but it was a it was a battle in between the two. So um I actually missed the line for that. What was the line for the Green? Green Bay is a one and a half point underdog. So for all the lines that are on the ticker, it's the home that's the home team's odd. So okay. like say for example, you see San Francisco that they're minus 14 and a half. So it's the home team's odd. So Green Bay is the underdog in this game. Um, but I'm going Detroit. I know. They like they like you said they got a couple good wins, but at the same time too, Detroit really proved something to me last Sunday that they can they can hang. They like the fact that they went out there after losing to Seattle, they just let Atlanta. I think it was Atlanta didn't get a touchdown in that game. Like they just and they also completely knew. You did not hear Bijan Robinson's name get called in that game. So the fact that they were able to go out and do that, kudos to the Lions. I've been tough on them all offseason, but they're really starting not to prove me wrong. Just prove me that hey, they are what they've been hyped to be, and I don't. I, I'm not. I'm not tough on them in the sense I didn't want them to be bad. I just don't like it when teams get all this overhype and then they're miserable. Unlike it, unless your name's New York Jets, um, but that's just me. What I what I see, and also have to remember, it's a Thursday night game. Yes. You have to temper expectations for a Thursday night game. I haven't seen a lot of Thursday night games, and I'm just like, that was a great game. That hasn't really happened since they introduced Thursday Night Football. I expect this game to be more of a low-scoring game. I really do. I think Detroit's going to really want to control the line of scrimmage here. Jared Goff has done very well. Jared Goff running for a touchdown. Great for my fantasy team. One of the fantasy teams I have in there. But passing the football, it hasn't really gone too well for Detroit. I think they're going to try to run the ball as much as they can. That's why I see this being a low-scoring game. I know the over/under here is forty-six. I would take the under in this game, mainly because yeah. it's a Thursday night game, but also 
I don't know if either team is going to have a big offensive explosion in this. One. I can see like a 23 to 17 kind of football yeah. game where there's a couple touchdowns here or there. But um, so to your point of there isn't like with Thursday night football, the coming schedule for Thursday night football is pretty rough because next week we get commanders versus bears. And then we get chiefs versus Broncos. And then Saints, Jags, Bills, Buccaneers. Um, the first good one is week nine, which is Steelers and Titans. But then week 10, we get gifted the Bears and the Panthers. So it's <laughs> it's pretty ugly coming up for Thursday night football. But also watch because I love football. Uh, yeah, you love football so much that you're going to watch it because also what else are you going to be watching on a Thursday night? It's also like I, I, I'm i trying to remember a game that I was watching last year and it made me almost want to hate watching football. Like, Probably Colts and Broncos. It might have been actually like any games involving the Broncos. Sorry, Broncos fans. Like <laughs> not your year. It, was, it hasn't been their year for a while. But um, yeah, like the Thursday night games are so... I understand why they're doing it. It's uh, it's such a big money grab for them. There's nothing else really to compete with on Thursday nights. I understand why they're doing it. I just also know that the product hasn't been good because players go all out on the Sunday. They get the Monday off, mainly maybe do a walkthrough of just going through the game plan. But they have like little to no time to get themselves ready for that game. And what... All the years I've been covering football, I understand it's the CFL, but from covering football, I just know players need time to get themselves acclimated again. They get their bodies going again. Exactly. And also the field, the field, like you know, if if that if that if that team that's playing on Thursday night if they hosted a game before, the field the field's not going to be an optimal condition either. Because I know it's well, I know a lot of I know a lot of NFL stadiums have that turf. But if they have grass, grass doesn't grow magically. You know, I've seen it. <laughs> I've seen how bad fields can get when you don't give it enough time, especially in these where it's not the summer, it's the colder weather. So I conditions play a factor too in a lot of these games as well. That's, that's exactly it. And at one point I want to say quickly, just because obviously with, co- with us covering Canadian football, because obviously you've been on the beat for a longer time than I have. This is only my first season. For everyone out there that has the whole, oh, it's not the NFL, I want to say this. These guys can still ball. Because I was always one of those guys where, you know, not take cheap shots, but kind of go like, oh, it's like CFL, this and this. But then the more I've gotten to cover it, the more respect I have for the game and the more I get to see these players and know that, hey, these guys, like, look, they may not be the talent equivalent to what it is that it takes to make the NFL. They can still go out there and ball, and they've earned my respect. Plus, too, they're always nice guys to interact with. So that's a, that's a bonus as well. They're they're athletes. They're yes. high level athletes. They train like high level athletes. Where I get, I, I tell people, I remind people that a lot of CFL players do work in the off season. They have other jobs to support what they're trying to do. Uh, I remember John Cornish, long time, one of the greatest, a great CFL uh, Canadian, working at TD Bank in the right when he wasn't playing football. That's it's something these guys have to do. And sometimes some of them want to do it because they feel like in the offseason they need something to give them purpose. You know, AJ Willett, look at what uh, look at what he did uh, not too long ago. Even nursing a leg injury, he's still bench press. What was what did he do? He Six squatted. fourteen. Yeah, 
Like that's insane. Like NFL players are doing stuff like that. Like these are these are these guys athletically have those same abilities. It's just talent level. Maybe it's not the same. Coaching isn't the same because in the NFL you have so many different coaches. In the CFL, they're like, you can't have that many coaches. Yeah. I've that's a whole other conversation for another day uh, on that one. But that's just kind of that's kind of where the two sports are kind of different. They put a lot more investment into it in the States too than they do up here in Canada. That's the other thing as well. Cause also I don't know what the thing is, but you got to imagine it like, cause you see stuff with NFL coaches where they're there every day from like four o'clock in the morning to like 10 o'clock at night. I don't know if Ryan did what he's like that or not, but at the same time too, they still put the exact same preparation into the game as an NFL head coach would. Yeah. It, it, NFL coaches are, it's got, it's the most pressure out of all, I think out of all the, sports i don't think i think nfl coaches have the most pressure on them out of all the all the sports in my opinion that's what i think and you said nfl right yeah nfl yeah i completely agree too because every year we always go into the season being like oh this guy can get fired like with hockey it's hey if this goes wrong with football it's just straight up hey if you don't perform you have one day a week to prove that you can perform if you don't sayonara you spend all that. You spend six days preparing for that one game a week, right? And you only get sixteen chances in a season. Seventeen now, yeah. now with the seventeenth game, but it used to be sixteen. Seventeen kind of is a throwaway in some regards, but like, there's so much, and and it's not like these coaches get breaks. They may take a few days at the end of the season, especially if they're not in the playoffs. They get a little more time, but if you're a playoff team, if you're a Super Bowl team. You're right back at it a week later in some ways. And you're right. And then it's just a repeat cycle where you're right into it to where it's right into the draft, right into the combine, right into pro days, right into free agency. So it's just, it's a never ending cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, Sunday morning, we have our first London game of the year, Jacksonville and Atlanta. And I actually discovered something today. So I don't know how much of a gambling man you are, but if you live in Canada, FanDuel is doing a promotion right now where if you deposited $10, you get TSN Plus free for two months. And with TSN Plus, you actually get the Disney Andy's bedroom feed. I don't know if you heard about that. So I'm mm-hmm. going to be watching the game that way just because I'm curious to see what it's going to look like. But with this game, I like Jacksonville on a rebound just because they always seem to perform well over in London. Plus two, mm-hmm. Atlanta's, a, Atlanta's a hard book to read. I know they started 2-0, and but I feel like last week was more of the Atlanta that we're going to see throughout this year. Atlanta, we know what they want to do. We know what type of team they want to be. They want to run the ball as much as possible. They got that two-headed attack there. They got a young quarterback who's very inexperienced, who has – the whole offense is young and inexperienced. They're very – and that makes them unpredictable in a lot of ways. Jacksonville, they got to avenge that that loss, right? You know, they – and, they and yeah, London is their second home. Um, So – that's a team that's supposed to be aiming higher. I think they definitely have the better offense of the two, you know, and, and I think maybe Atlanta with this new experience of playing in London, that's, that's something that's going to be a, you know, something that they're going to have to overcome. Jacksonville's done it so many times. It's, it's like second, it'll be like second nature for the, for a lot of them. Exactly. And one thing I want to say quickly about that is next week, I'm looking ahead. Jacksonville actually has their next two games in London 
And Buffalo comes to London next week, so I'm just going to throw this out there right now. Don't be shocked if Jacksonville finds a way to win that based solely off of they've been there all week and know how to get adjusted to the time. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but if it does, bookmark this clip. Um, Chicago versus Denver, or for those of you who enjoy pain, you can watch this game. Uh, I'm going to say Denver just based off of the fact that I have more trust in them to actually put something together. Plus two, there's no way that you are going to go out there and lose again after getting 70 put up on you. I'm sorry. It's just I, this. I think this is the game that it basically it's Denver gets right. And then Chicago, Chicago. There, you, some would say that there's no team worse in the NFL right now than Denver. And I'd say, uh, have you looked at Chicago lately? I, I see no reason to have any confidence that Chicago is going to turn things around like that. This, this could be a historically bad Chicago team. Justin Fields just looks lost. He doesn't look confident out there. Denver. Yes. I understand they allow 70 points, but they can score more points than Chicago can. And, you know, they were close to beating Washington a few weeks ago. Uh, Really. It was just that one, two point conversion that they could have made that game. Interesting. I, I, yeah, I guess I definitely agree that Denver should have Denver's got the more talented roster on paper too. And yeah, they got every reason to want to bounce back after a game that I've never witnessed such a butt whooping in my life. Never like I know in no sport have I ever seen a team just get outplayed and and it gets to the point where I've, I've seen teams get beat bad. I've seen the Argos put, allow 60 plus points in a game um so when people was like oh i've never seen this many point scores says, i've seen something pretty close it gets to the point where it snowballs and every and the, the team just kind of throws their hands up in the air it's like what can we do and then it kind of just all spirals out of control that's what happened with denver it was already so bad that it kind of the players kind of just were just like well what the heck are we supposed to do and it kind of just fell apart for them so I do think, yeah, they're they're going to want to come out with a purpose in this game. Sean Payne does not want to have to re, you know, hear about losing this game and then losing to a team that is just so bad in Chicago. Exactly. It's just one of those things where I think Denver comes in here, has a fire lit underneath them because it's one of those things where if Chicago loses, it's like, all right, cool. If Denver loses, I'm sorry, all hell's going to break loose. Yeah. If Denver loses this game, I don't know what Sean Payne's contract is like. This is one of those where you're just like, this is not working. Exactly. And if you're Sean Payne, you're just like, maybe <laughs> maybe you decide to raise the white flag before you, you put yourself out of the industry before the team does. I think it's $18 million a year, but I can't remember how many how, how, how long he signed for. Maybe it's bad. It be five, because to get him out of the booth, like... Den- Denver does it to themselves, but they also spent a first round pick to get him. Oh, I forgot all about that too. Denver, Denver, just it, it, whenever you think that Denver actually do that, you're just like, "Yep, they did." Basically, they, they basically I I said this on my last show, but they went all in for Peyton Manning, got a Super Bowl, and now they're doomed for eternal hell for the next like thirty years. Yeah, I, the only thing I liked about that Super Bowl win is they got my boy Demarcus Ware a Super Bowl that he deserved, but it 
came at a cost. <laughs> like everything since that Super Bowl has been a disaster. That it has been. Um, Cleveland versus Baltimore, and I'm going to say this: Baltimore's the underdog in this game, but I think they went out right. I think this last week because I know Cleveland played really well, but you got to remember Baltimore got Baltimore got hosed in that game where there should have been the. Uh, Passing, there should have been pass interference called on fourth down. They didn't get it. Cleveland has this great win. It's just this repeats as recipe for a Baltimore bounce back. This is the game I, I'd have a really hard time predicting because Cleveland has such a good defense that that's what should give them the edge in this game against Baltimore. But division games are are different animal. Yes, and I understand that this one's in Cleveland, but you know. Yeah, Baltimore is in that position again where they got to bounce back from a really tough loss to Indianapolis. The only thing that does concern me about Baltimore is their offense. It hasn't been like they just gave Lamar Jackson a huge deal. Yes. And he hasn't really performed like I think he should be. He's still doing what Lamar Jackson, you're expecting Lamar Jackson. He's running the ball a lot. He's. He's putting up some decent yards, but that's going to be, I think that's where it's going to be tough. They're going to, if they're going to have to, if they're going to win this game against Cleveland, it's not going to be through the air. I think it's going to have to be on the ground and Lamar Jackson's going to have to do a lot of that. Um, So that's the only way I can see Baltimore win this game. So I expect this one to be a low scoring because I think both defenses are that good. I think both teams offenses, especially their passing games are not, Ones I would put a lot of money behind them scoring a lot of points. Same. Also, too, if you're betting Denver, Chicago, I say take the under in that game as well. That game streams like yeah. 13 to 10. And the over under for Cleveland, Baltimore's 40. Like, that's actually not like some people are going to be like, oh, it's a low line. Look at where both teams are right now. I, I kind of agree. It's, it's going to be a very tough defensive matchup. I, I completely agree with you. Um, and then we take it down to Music City for Tennessee and Cincinnati. This is going to sound crazy. But I'm going Tennessee here because if you look at the numbers, Mike Vrabel, not at home, but as a home underdog, is he's never lost as a home underdog. He was an underdog against the Titans. He won outright. He's an underdog again. And plus two, this is the same thing too. It's a bounce back game for the Titans. And plus two, that Titans defense is better than the Rams. I know the Rams have Aaron Donald, but it's basically Aaron Donald and then name 11 random people. With the Titans... They've got some ballers on that side of the ball. Jeffrey Simmons, Danico Autry, to name a couple. So with Tennessee, if Tennessee can get to the ball and make Burroughs Day miserable, Bengals might be one and three after this weekend. Well, the thing about for the Bengals for me is what they did well is they got their passing game going. It didn't look pretty. They should have been doing this earlier in the season where they're letting the receivers make some plays for them. But at the same time, I don't expect Derrick Henry to have 20 yards on the ground again. No. Right. I don't. That's something I don't expect. If you're in Tennessee, what you got to avoid is getting down early because the, yeah, their, uh, their offense is struggling. Cleveland's defense was just so good in that game. They just didn't allow, like they took away the best weapon and then they said, beat us another way. And unfortunately uh, the Titans weren't able to, but for the Bengals, their defense was so good against the Rams and yet it was still a close game for the most majority of it because you know 
their their offense did just enough. And against the Titans, I don't know if your offense can do just enough. Your offense has got to be better. The Titans are supposed to be a better team than the Rams. Nobody expected the Rams to be good this year. So the fact nope. that the Bengals eked out that win doesn't give me a lot of confidence when you're going up against a team that should be a better match, better team. That, 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 that's it, though. Because when you say the Derrick Henry thing, I want to go into Cincinnati's defense because they look good. Also, Jamar Chase got had a good week for me in fantasy, so that's another thing I take into consideration as well with that. So I think this game's ultimately going to be won or lost for the Bengals if Joe Burrow can have a Joe Burrow game. It's just we'll see how the calf affects him, and we'll see what defense comes to play. If, if Derrick Henry's shut down again, it may not look good, but I think if Cincinnati's um, offense can't get clicking either, this could be another uh, low-scoring affair. Um, next up, we, we got the game of the weekend. I'm sorry, I'm calling this right now. I know both these teams are in the same division that I have my favorite team in, but Buffalo versus Miami. I know Buffalo, everyone after week one was like, they're not this, they're not that. I always knew, guys, Buffalo's going to be fine, putting up 38 and 37 in their last two games. I want to ask you this. Do you think we get fireworks, or do you think maybe maybe it may, like it's one of those games? Because this happens all the time in football. You think a game's going to be exciting, and then the next thing you know it, both teams kind of like don't put up as many points as you think. So here's, here's what I think about this game. First off, how this game wasn't... I know they don't usually flex games this early, but you've got Chiefs Jets as the Sunday nighter. I don't know if the Jets, I know it's a big, always New York and, you know, primetime. I don't know if that's a game you'd want to have as your primetime one. So I don't see that one being a game that goes well for the Jets. But here's what I'll say about when you, because they're going to, everyone's hyping up this matchup between the Dolphins and the Bills so much that you get worried that there's a bit of a letdown. But the Bills' defense has been, they had a good week, but they've also had some suspect weeks as well, right? I mean, they lost to the Jets. If anybody but Zach Wilson was in that game, that should have been a, a an easier win for the Jets because of oh, how yeah. bad the Bills' offense was. And I think there was it was a beatable Bills' defense too. They've gone back to being good again. What I think the Bills are going to try to do in this game is keep the Dolphins off the field. And the way they're going to do that is I think they're going to try to run the ball more. Like this is something that the Dolphins struggled with against the Chargers in week one was they couldn't get on the field as much because the Chargers were running the ball, controlling that time of possession. That if I'm the Bills, you got to do that because I don't think their defense is at full strength. I don't like, you know, Von Miller's not there. I don't think their DBs have been they haven't had to do a lot because their front their front seven has been getting pressure on the quarterbacks. They've also played the Raiders, who aren't great, and the Commanders, who are not I know that everyone wants to will the Commanders to be a better team, but they're just not that good of a team. So I think the Buffalo's gonna get a bit of a eye opener here, but they gotta make sure that they keep that Dolphins offense off the field as much as possible. I'm also going to say this right now with Buffalo. I feel like I want to go with them just because if they don't win this game, that's not only do you fall two games behind Miami in the division, you're 0-2 in division play. So if you go 0-2 in division play, it's going to you basically have to win out to win that win the East plus two. They have to go to Miami as well, which that's not an easy task. And everyone's saying, oh, the Denver has everybody put up on them. No, no, no. It's because of the heat in Miami purposely, the way they built their stadium. 
that away bench is in the sun for 60 minutes of football. Um, we have two teams here that look, it's a clash of the Titans. It's the two superior teams in the division. Um, as I'm watching the Leafs game, and I forgot Kyle Clifford's still in the organization. Um, I I love your take, though, about the running game. I think Buffalo this is the game where James Cook can finally show the world, hey, I'm a capable running back. Uh, Damian Harris as well. We all know what he's capable of. But it wouldn't shock me to see a Gabe Davis game. It wouldn't shock me to see a Stephon Diggs game. But at the same time, too, if this game's going to be won by Buffalo, they're going to have to run the ball efficiently. And also, too, you can run it with Josh Allen. I just feel like you can't have him going out there and making plays where he's putting himself in the line of fire. I know NFL players do that every drive, but he has to be smart when it comes to running the ball. Yeah, I think Buffalo doesn't want to be like a run-first team. They don't want no. to. But they have to at least make teams understand they can run the ball. And that's what they started doing after that Monday night loss because you can't ask Josh Allen to do it all. I, 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 kept, I keep saying, uh, people tell me what's wrong with the Bills. They're asking Josh Allen to do everything. He shouldn't be asked to do everything. Nope. Trust the guys around you. So that's where you got to get the running game more involved. And then, then that opens up plays for Gabe Davis. Also, yeah, let's make Gabe Davis more of a part of the offense again. Right? I had him in fantasy last year. I was going to get him this year. And I'm kind of glad I didn't get him just right off the hop. But they got to get that guy going. He is their second best receiver. I understand that they went and they got, they beefed up their tight end group and they have Stephon Diggs. But Gabe Davis, if you don't remember in that game against the Chiefs in the playoffs, it was the Gabe Davis show, right? That's, that's, he's still a good receiver. You got to utilize him. So I think Buffalo can hang. I know some people are so in awe about the Miami offense. I think Buffalo's offense can hang. It's just they shouldn't want this to be a shootout because Miami will take it any day of the week. 100%. If this becomes a shootout, I'm going Miami. But if they, if Buffalo's defense can – I was going to say utilize. If Buffalo's defense can minimize what – not Tyreek Hill, not Jalen Waddell, Raheem Ostert and, De, and A-Chain. Because those are two guys last week that they – Raheem Ostert in back-to-back weeks carved the Patriots up carve the Broncos up. So if you can neutralize, that's the word I was looking for. Neutralize Raheem Mostert. That's the key to Buffalo winning this football game. If Buffalo just, if you get into a shootout with Tyreek Hill and Tua, I like Josh Allen and Diggs, but I'm sorry. We've seen it so far. When you get into a shootout with Tua, Tua's going to prevail. Let's look at it. So far this year, 36 points, 24 points, 70 points. Now I know, Buffalo last two weeks, 38 and 37, but one game was to Vegas, who, look, we know isn't that good. And the other game was to Washington, which that was a big come-to-earth game for the Commanders. So at the end of the day, we'll see what happens. But I'm going to go with this. I'm going to say this right now. I think the Bills win this game. I think this is a game where if it's in Orchard Park, Buffalo can truly put their stamp on it as we still run this division. And they, they're a team that can get to the quarterback, right? Yes. And that's something Tua hasn't really had to deal with too much in the first few weeks of the season as well. They're off. I don't know what, if it was PFF or if it was someone else, but uh, Miami's offensive line has a pass protection grade of a hundred right now. That's just something to point out. That's also because they've had, I think the easier matchups like Denver yeah. should have been there tough for this matchup in terms of pass rushers. It really wasn't right. I mean, my, the, the new England game, they kind of went back to earth a little bit. 
because New England actually has a good defense. Denver it just kind of all fell apart. That's why one game sh- inflates things so much. But I do think Buffalo's defense is going to be the toughest defense they play they've played so far. They're a lot like New England, but just a little more, a little more pizzazz to them. So that's something to watch for there. A little rugged too, a little yeah. more like a rough edge to them. Um, Philadelphia and Washington. I'm going to say one that makes sense for winning and one that makes sense for gambling. I'm going to say Philadelphia wins, but I'm going to go with this one. I think Washington covers just because six and a half for a divisional game. I don't like taking high spreads when it's a divisional opponent, just because they know that they know each other so well. And guess who is the last team to have beaten Jalen Hurts in the regular season? The Commanders. Well, I mean, uh, my answer would usually be I would wish nobody would win this game. <laughs> That's what you say when you when you're talking about two divisional rivals. Washington. Yeah, the divisional games always mean a lot more, so that's why you always say six and a half is a lot. The Eagles' defense has just been... I'll give them credit. The Eagles' defense has been lights out, right? They've also had moments where it's like, you know what? They've kept teams in it. Like, the against the Bucs, they were really good. Against the Vikings, that was a game where I could have seen that, that Eagles team lose. So if you're Washington, that's a game where you have to find a way to keep it close. Yes. Force the Eagles to make mistakes. They will make mistakes. Um, but also that Eagles front line, defensive front is so, it's so tough to go against. So I think with Washington, you got to go with your playmakers and hope, get that ball out quickly. Don't force Sam Howell to stand in the pocket and try to beat this pass rush. You got to get that ball out quick and keep, again, keep, Keep the Eagles off the field as much as you can or force them to make mistakes. This is going to be a game where if Washington does have a chance to win, they got to win it in the air. They're not going to win it on the ground. No, thousand percent they're not. And it's funny because Philadelphia now, they're using the running game more. That could be a recipe where if you, you maybe you force watch, you force the, the Eagles to use their running game and you try to slow down. It's so hard to slow down A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith, but that might be what they have to do. Right, they might have to go that route because I don't see them. Yeah, I don't see the I don't see the Commanders winning a, a shootout in the air with uh, with the Eagles. Oh, neither do I. I'm just saying if they want to keep it close, yeah. you gotta you, you gotta it air close. it out. You do have to air it out, and you have to hope the Eagles don't have a lot of success through the air. <laughs> That's the other thing. Hundred um, percent. The divisional theme keeps on repeating itself as we have New Orleans playing Tampa Bay. I know there's no Derek Carr, but just something about Monday's game, I feel like we saw the true what we thought the Buccaneers were going to be. I feel like that Monday night game was a true come to earth, like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers aren't who we thought they were. And with this game here, I'm going to take the Saints in the revenge narrative just because you have Jameis Winston probably starting, former Buccaneer, but then also to the fact that the Saints have such a bad taste in their mouth from last Monday. But it also, because if the Saints win this game, it kind of shows that, hey, they can dump what happened last week in the past and just keep moving forward. So the Saints are a tough team for me to gauge right now because every game they've played has been so close. I think this is going to be a close game too. Same. But if it's, um, I'm trying to, uh, who did who did they name as the backup for Carr this week? They signed Easton Stick off the, or was it Jacob Easton? One of the two. I think it was Jason, Jacob Easton. They signed Jacob Easton off someone's practice squad, so it's going to be him because Jake Hayner's on the six game suspended list for PEDs. Like 
for Jameis Winston, this game has meaning for him, right? Going into this one, going up against a former team. So there's a little bit of that narrative that's going to come in there. I just, I just don't know if I, if I can trust the Saints' offense. Their defense is good. That's that's been a hallmark for them. It's just you know what, like yeah, Tampa maybe overachieved a little bit in the first two games, but they still got good playmakers. I think this may may have been a bit of a wake up call for them uh, for sure. But the Saints aren't the Eagles, right? No, that's the one thing I I will say. So I, it's going to be a close game. If it's a close game. Maybe yeah, I can give the edge to the Saints because it's also a home game. Yeah, uh, and Alvin Kamara, you know, with him, he's not back yet, right? We're slow. No, he's back. He's back. He's back. Right? There's that factor as well. Right? They're gonna have that emotional boost. You lose Derek Carr, but you get Alvin Kamara back. So that's something that I think will also play a factor in this game. But I, I again, I. I don't know if I've seen enough from the Saints to say definitely I can give them the edge over the Bucks. I'm also going to say it for this reason when it comes to defenses and making turnover worthy plays. I'm going to I know Jameis had the 30 interception season and everything like that, but I trust the Saints defense to get turnovers more just because the Buccaneers secondary has been in question a lot this year. So with both offensive lines really wonky, I'm going to trust whichever secondary to get more interceptions. That's why I'm leading Saints as well. But this I can see being a under game as well. I, I don't see this being a high-scoring shootout like what we saw in the Breeze and Brady days or even the Brady days post-Breeze. I can see this game easily being like 17 to 14, something like that. I, I do think it's going to be a low scoring. I think it's going to be a little ugly unless Mike Evans balls out like he has been for me in fantasy. He's just trying to find a new home for next year, which I, I still think he's gone from Tampa at the end of this year. Uh, well, yeah, I think well, it's hard for wide receivers right now to really get that payday they're looking for. But Mike Evans, he continues to prove that he's good every year. So I think that's, yeah, I could see Mike Evans. Mike Evans is going out and trying to prove something. It's just sad to me to think that him and I are the same age and he's looking for his final contract in the NFL where it's like, this might be the last deal he signs. And I'm like, we're both 30. I'm like, fuck, even though I'm not 30 for another three months. Um, Carolina versus Minnesota with another game of close your eyes, blink twice, and hopefully this one passes you by. Um, I'm going to go Minnesota just because when it comes down to talent, Minnesota is the more talented football team. And I feel like for them, it was, they're basically going, it's, it's so this is a quote I heard today on a podcast. You flip the coin last year for Minnesota every time it lands on heads. This year you're hoping for heads and it's landing on tails. Eventually it's going to land on – it's going to land heads. I think this is the weekend just because with the Vikings, like I said, not only the more talented team, but we've come to terms already to Carolina, even without Bryce Young, they're pretty They're pretty mid. I just think with Minnesota, it's like they're the they're the bad luck team. They're, they're the bad news bears of the NFL right now. Yeah, I would agree with that. No, I would definitely agree with that. There's there's a lot of teams that are just I don't even know if struggle is the right word at this point, right? Predatory. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you know, I I would agree with that. For sure. Yeah, it's it's just when I look at it, I'm like, because if for Minnesota too, it's like a, if not now, when? Because Kansas City's coming to Minnesota next week. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Like, is this gonna be the Adam Thielen revenge game? Like. Are we going to get that? I don't know. If it was in Minnesota, I'd say yes, but it's in Carolina, so I'm going to lean no. I do think like Minnesota has 
like if they lose another game, there's so much pressure on them, right? They've been close. This is the issue. Every game's been close for them. Like it's been one miss, one or two things gone wrong for them. So like that's why I think they can easily win a game, but it's also like they haven't proven that they can win these games that have been winnable for them. Exactly. That's exactly it. Like they can win, but they're their own worst enemy. There's a lot of teams in the NFL right now who we've seen that's the case that, hey, it's not something that they did. It's something that you did to yourself. It's the DJ Khaled, congratulations, you played yourself get over and over again for a team like the Minnesota Vikings. Um, Colts and Rams, uh, this game's a pick em. That's what the PK stands for, for first-time listener, for viewers or listeners out there. Um, there's just something with the Colts. There's just, there's just something. It's something where it's like everything's seeming to go right for them. Three and one looks pretty appetizing right now. And with the Rams, I think I think Matt Stafford's just like he had the one game. And then besides that, it's like what's there? Like I know Puka Nakua has been a really cool story this year, but it's I think the Rams are kind of like the NFL's Calgary Stampeders where they had their dominance, but then now it's kind of that it's dwindling down to where you have to turn the chat. You have to turn the page. And it's, you also have to wonder who's starting for the Colts. Is, is Richardson going to get himself cleared? I know he's going to practice. I think it's still going to be Minshew. Right? So if it's going to be Minshew, then they're going to have to control it a little bit more. I think with the Rams, th- there's a book out on them now, right? Their yes. offensive line's not very good. They can't really run the ball very well. And they got very inexperienced receivers, right? It's not gr- a great recipe for to be a good team. So I, I do think, yeah, they're definitely a very beatable team right now. So if you're the Colts, that's saving grace is that if you could do those things that the Bengals did, who had a hobbled Joe Burrow, you got a really good chance in this game. Um, so yeah. And, and the Rams are just asking a lot out of their offense right now that nobody expected to be good. They had that one game against Seattle. They're like, Oh, maybe we underestimate underestimated them. And then, Bengals were and and Fortnite's like no, no, they're not that good. We just proved that they're just not that good. Exactly, that's exactly it. That's that's exactly it. Where with the Rams, it's kind of like hey, like because this happens every year in the NFL. There's always a team that wins Week One you don't see coming. Where it's like hey, they may not be as bad as we thought, but then they have a couple games where you're like oh yeah, they're as bad as we thought. Which is all gonna be interesting to see what it looks like next summer on quarterback because Matt Stafford's obviously one of the cast members in that show. Matthew Stafford, I feel sometimes I feel bad for him, right? Because he doesn't always choose the situations he finds himself in. Yeah. But the Rams sold their souls to the devil to get themselves into this position, right? To be a Super Bowl champion, and then it all kind of—I would say crumbles. But you pay your—you have to then pay the price for going for it as they did. So I think they're like. They're not going to be as bad as I thought they were, but I'm also not going to believe uh, buy into the hype that we saw from the first couple of weeks either. So I was going to go with the Denver Broncos, for example, Den- Den- Denver Broncos example with them, but I'm not ready to yet because obviously it was Manning left the year after. Um, I don't know this about you because we haven't talked about this as much. Are you a big Simpsons fan? Or you, if I say a reference, would you get it? Uh, it depends on the reference. It's from the 90s. It was the Trios of Horror episode where Ned Flanders was the devil and Homer wanted to get donut. Do you know where I'm going? I think I remember this one, yeah. 
and then he ate the donut and he sold his soul to the devil. It's that kind of logic with the Rams right now where, hey, you ate the donut. Now the devil owns you. So it's that kind of logic. That's where, because I feel like if it was 90 Simpsons, I knew you'd get it. But if I wasn't going to do anything that was like 2000s or beyond, no, no, no. Because 90 Simpsons. Yeah, is you, yeah you'd be asking a lot in that regard. <laughs> Unfortunately. Well, we have uh, the last game in the one o'clock window, which is Houston and Pittsburgh. And I'm going to say this briefly. I like what Houston's doing, but I think Pittsburgh is going to, I think Pittsburgh comes out and wins this game. I think this is a game where, look, I don't like Pittsburgh in the sense of long term success, but for now, I just, Houston's still a young team. And I feel like they had this great game last week where the next week it's a game where you get humbled, where it'll be like this, where they'll win a game and everyone's like, hey, look at them. And then the next week it's, back to square one they are for me right now what the detroit lions were two years ago yeah and, and with the steelers their defense is getting back to their identity again right yeah so that's what gives them a chance each and every week they're not right now their offense is limited you can't ask too much of them but george pickens is still proven to be a great playmaker a good you know Maybe a little bit too asking a little bit too much of him right now, but I mean they don't really have much of a choice. So yeah, the the Steelers, I always say because of their defense, because they got TJ Watt, that makes them such a tough team to go up against each and every week. Well, minus the week one against San Francisco, but yeah, the Texans for me, like it, it the the Jaguars game was a weird one for me. They had that, like the score is obviously a little inflated by the by the kick return at the end. There, game was kind of over without it really being over. CJ Stroud looks good, but at the same time, do I expect Tank Dell to be this good against Steelers? Probably not. Like I don't expect Tank Dell to have 140 plus yards in the game, right? So they don't run like and and, and Houston's not really running the ball very well. So they're going to be asking CJ Stroud to do a lot. And if you're asking CJ Stroud to stand in the pocket and try to deliver passes, go ask Jimmy Garoppolo how that feels after what he went through against the Steelers. That's what the Steelers are going to try to do to CJ Stroud. That's how exactly I feel with it. Because with Pittsburgh too, as long as their offense doesn't do anything to screw it up and you just keep it simple, that's how you win football games with Pittsburgh. Just let the defense take care of business and offense. Hey, when you have to score, you go down and do your thing. So, like, like I said, both teams like Pittsburgh's not exactly a good team, but it's it's a matter of trust. It's kind of like uh, what's the game we were looking at? Uh, it's like Green Bay versus Detroit. Like we trust Detroit, you and I both trust Detroit more. Same thing here. We both trust Pittsburgh more. Um, but with the four o'clock window, we started in LA and Vegas, and I'm going to say this right now. I think last week's just a catapult for the Chargers. I think the Chargers take care of this game easily. I like. I know it's a big game. It's a six and a half point spread for a divisional opponent. But man, the Raiders are just their own worst enemy. Like I don't know what's wrong with them. It's like the same thing with the Rams. Like for their own defense, where it's Max Crosby and then just a bunch of guys. Even offensively, it's Devonte Adams and also say this too: Josh Jacobs does not look like himself at all. It doesn't help that he missed time in training camp. Oh, 100%. With, with the, trying to get that contract stuff sorted out. But the Raiders, you are putting yourself in a position where, how, do, how what's the best way to put it? Why they thought going for the field goal at that point of the game was smart, but I don't know. 
right? Like it's coaching decisions. Now you got to frustrate Devontae Adams. You don't even know if J- Jimmy Garoppolo is going to start for you. You're also going up against Justin Herbert, who has now started to find his game after, you know, some questionable moments to start the season. The off like that that rate that Chargers offense is going to be good. The, the only I, the only thing I can say that makes me think that maybe the Raiders can keep this close is if Josh Jacobs starts to get himself going. And yeah. Yeah, that that's I feel the exact same way, but I'll say this too. I'm happy to see Herbert going. He's my fantasy quarterback, but also he's my MVP for this year. He's the guy that I picked back before the season started to win MVP. Um, they did lose Mike Williams to the year to a torn ACL, but first round draft pick Quentin Johnson's finally gonna get a chance to shine. And I'll use the other thing too. Austin Eckler has gonna have something to say. Um, when I look at this game, I look at that 47 and a half, and I really like that. I really think this could be a high-scoring game just because, like you're saying, if the Raiders manage to run the ball but then they and then the Chargers manage to throw it, it seems like this could be a recipe for a 4 o'clock fireworks kind of game. Yeah, it, it does have a little bit of that to it. Again, you these are the games where – it's, I have a hard time predicting because I don't know if I've seen the best of both sides yet. Yeah, I I like that. It's just for me, it's more like the same. It's like going back to the Pittsburgh game. I trust the Chargers more than I trust the Raiders. I, I do trust the Chargers a lot. Um, I've always been a big fan of Justin Herbert. Now you lost Mike Williams. How does that impact your offense? I think Josh Palmer can do some good things. Canadian Josh Shout out Palmer, Brampton. By the way. Um, I do think that there is something to be said that they that when you have a quarterback like Justin Herbert, but it's also a divisional game, right? And it's also a home game for the Chargers. That's probably not going to feel like a home game either. That's the other thing too. South uh, South Los Angeles, Southern California. That is Raider territory. Um, San Francisco, Arizona. My only question for you is: Is can the Cardinals go four and zero against the spread on the year, or do you think this is the first game where we see the Cardinals truly get their doors blown in? Because I think I think it's coming. I think it's coming. Well, after I've had to have my mind erased for last week, we'll get into that in a minute. Cowboys. <laughs> Look, like the Cowboys beat themselves in that game. Like th- that game, even though as bad as it looked for the Cowboys was still a winnable game and they beat themselves in a lot of ways. The 49ers aren't going to do that, right? They're nope. that's very disciplined. They've got a good game plan. They take the pass away. Well, guess what? They can run the ball with Christian McCaffrey, right? So, and I think they're also a better red zone offense than the Cowboys oh, are. Yes. And I think the books out on the Cardinals now, right? They're going to try to run the ball. Guess what? The 49ers have got a pretty good front, defensive front. You're not going to be able to run the ball like that. They're not going to be able to run the ball like that. So I think a little, I think you're going to see a little bit of regression. Um, the, I know it's a 14 and a half is asking a lot out of San Francisco, but they're also really good defense. It's also really good offense. So I think you can. It's, I wouldn't say that I'm 1,000% confident in 14 and a half because that's always a tough bet to have to put down. But Cardinals 49ers kind of feels like that's close. That's not too far off. This is the game where I've seen a lot of people say this online where it's like the high school Cardinals where I feel like this is the game where I feel like Arizona's that, – because that defense is, is very disciplined and like for the spread purposes, like I want to take it so bad. I just think – San Francisco. This is a game where San Francisco comes out and shows like what we. Th- I think this is the game where 
San Francisco is going to do what everyone thought Dallas was going to do last weekend. And I know that hurts for you to hear. And I'll, I'm a nice guy. I'm going to let you have, I'm going to have fan, fan therapy for you in a minute. But that's what I think is going to happen with San Francisco this weekend. Yeah. No, I do. Like, and look, maybe this is a, maybe the Cardinals prove that what they did, they can carry that over. Maybe. But San Fran, they're just a more like the Cowboys, I think. It was an emotional week for them too. They literally lost their top cornerback. Yes, points this game. They also had three other starting offensive linemen not play in this game. So I do think that that's something that people aren't really talking about just because they looked at the score and said, "Oh, the Cowboys lost." Well, there were some there were some reasons the Cowboys lost that game, and not all of it was because of bad play too. Which will go right into our game: New England over here, Dallas over here. Um, even today, too, like I know still Tyler Biotish, Zach Martin, Tyrone Smith row. We'll see if they play Sunday. That's a huge storyline here, but I'm going to tell you with this game. So I, I think Dallas does bounce back and win, but New England, I think people expect Dallas to come like just roaring out of the gates and do like what they did to the Giants, do what they did to the Jets. I think it's going to be a closer game. If, for folks who want to know how close I think this is going to be, Go back and watch the game from two years ago. That game went to overtime, and that's when Mac Jones was still unproven. He still is like a work in progress, but I feel like the New England defense is good enough to where this is going to be a close game to where they can keep the day not miserable for Dak, but they can keep him in check. But at the end of the day, I trust Dak Prescott more than I trust my own quarterback right now, as much as it pains me to say that. It's also at home. If this was in New England, I feel a little bit different. New England is just a different animal. In, in New England, and it didn't, it wasn't very um, comforting to see the Cowboys have to sign a, a backup center, <laughs> right? I think that it was Billy Price that they brought in. My condolences. So I don't, that that's the issue for me. And I was really not too thrilled to hear how all these injuries came about because of practice. Like, can we maybe make sure we're ready for the game and not injuring our players like ACL one aside, but like, mm, it's really tough when you don't have Zach Martin playing. Like he is the most important offensive lineman. The Argos has the Argos. The Cowboys have. He'd be uh, great in the Argos at guard. He would be fantastic for the Argos. Um, and Tyron Smith, even though he's not what he used to be, he's still a very important part of the left side, right? Like when you, when you have those two guys out, it you're you're asking for, for and people are saying, well, why did they struggle so much in the red zone? Well, Dak had no time. Dak also just didn't feel comfortable with that offensive line right off the hop. It was a disaster, right? So I do think though, if the Cowboys are going to win this game, their defense has to pick up the sl- pick themselves back up after what happened. And look, do I think the Patriots are going to try to run the ball on them all game long? Probably, but I also know that the Cowboys eventually figured it out. And I hate to say it, James Conner is a little better than you know. I, Stevenson's good. I don't know if he's better than James Conner and like Zeke and Zeke Elliott. There's gonna be a little bit of emotional emotion coming in and playing again. But I also think Dallas's defense is going to try to take that away from. Uh, take that away from uh, New England. They're going to make sure that if they're going to lose, it's going to have to be Mac Jones beating them. Exactly. And that's the thing we haven't seen from Mac so far. So that's where it comes down to. If Dallas, if New England can keep Dallas in check and keep this game close, then I think New England has a chance. Um, 
Surprisingly, when I look at touchdown scores, Zeke Elliott is uh, plus 250 to score a touchdown on Sunday, which I feel like it wouldn't shock me to see that happen just because it's that homecoming of sorts. But at the same time, too, like I said, this is the game where I feel like everyone's going to be like, you know, Dallas Cowboy fans like yourself get their little swagger back in their step. They get that, hey, we're three and one. We're good because guess what's coming for you guys right around the corner is a duel in Santa Clara on Sunday Night Football next week, which should be a great game. Um, But for this game, no, I think this is a perfect get-right spot for the Dallas Cowboys where they win, but it's made, basically it's one of those games where I hate to say this for New England, but it's a moral victory kind of game that I see happening for the Patriots. The Patriots could very well lose by a lot, but I've just seen it that New England's, I think, built to the point where they're going to keep them in, like they'll keep Dallas in line, but like I said, I trust Dak. I trust Dak more to win the game than I do Mac. But then again, Mac Jones could prove us all wrong, which would be great for me to see. But from a realistic standpoint, that's how I see it playing out. Yeah, and I think I think they're gonna try. Yeah, they're gonna have to. They're gonna test that Patriots offensive line and their offense. Like the Patriots offense hasn't looked fantastic, right? So that's, that's why- the other thing. Right. That's where I have that feeling of, you know, what, like the Cowboys defense, this is a prime bounce back game for them and they need to get their confidence going. And look, they were embarrassed. That unit was embarrassed. Micah Parsons was embarrassed. He's now become a social media meme in some regards. Uh, if you saw Josh Dobbs on TikTok responding. I so I think there's a little bit of that. The Eagle got a little bruised a little bit there. I think they got brought they got knocked down a peg. And that's a good thing. Like, it's not the worst thing to have a loss like this happen now. You don't want to lose those games. You want to win these games. But maybe losing a game like that and the way they did can bring them back to earth a little bit. Humbles you a little bit. It does. They need to be humbled. People are crowning them uh, as such a fantastic defense and everything. It's like they played the Jets with Zach Wilson and Daniel Jones, who looked like he never played football in his life. Who is the worst offensive line in football right now? Yeah, exactly. Right. If the one thing the Patriots are going to try to do is they're going to have to try to, they're going to have to test if if the Cowboys' offensive line is banged up. That's the one thing the Patriots. I know Bill Belichick loves his matchups. They got good cornerbacks. Dak's going to have a tough time against this Patriots defense. I don't think it's going to be an easy one for him. They're going to have to run the ball. Dallas is going to have to find a way to run the ball, and they were doing a good job running the ball. The problem is when they got to the red zone. That's where they had the issues. That's where they left a lot of points on the board. I completely agree with you. If they want to, if they want to beat the Patriots, they're going to have to do it with Tony Pollard because CD Lamb is probably going to be locked down against Christian Gonzalez. Um, Sunday Night Football. My biggest question for you, the question everyone's wondering, is Taylor Swift going to be in attendance? There's reports saying that she's going to be in attendance. Now the thing is, I don't know if that's just to drum up people to get Swift, the Swifties ready to watch and get those ratings and. The NFL is so good at selling those things where they can oh really – like, they got to love everything that's going on with them I right don't now. like Roger Goodell. I respect the hustle. I respect the hustle from him. So expect, I think, a lot of uh, talk about Taylor Swift going into this game. It's in New York too. So there's a little bit of the bright lights of New York and everything like that. So it's funny because – I think if you're the Jets, you probably want the storyline to be more on Taylor Swift than <laughs> on yourselves. Because Kansas City, what they did to the Bears, I'm expecting something similar against the Jets, considering every 
thing that's been going on with them since uh, what Aaron Rodgers had to say about the team from, I guess, was his hospital room? It looked like it. Uh, He's not happy. I don't blame him. They have looked really discombobulated. Then you got Colin Kaepernick leaking a letter that he sent to Joe Douglas. Too much distraction in New York right now, which is exactly what I feared for them when Aaron Rodgers went down. That This is why Zach Wilson hasn't worked in New York, minus him not being a good football player right now, but there's, it, it's not a good environment for a young quarterback in, New, in with the Jets. Every young quarterback they bring in gets suckered into the same thing every year. Future Ottawa Red Black, Zach Wilson looking pretty good. Um, but no, this game, I expect more of the same from the Chiefs where like I listened to New Heights today just because I was like, I, I'd seen clips. I actually never listened to an episode. I listened to it. It's in my podcast rotation now. Um, Travis came out and said this. This was the first complete game of the season. Offense looked good. Defense looked good. Special teams looked good. I expect more of the same. I expect them just to go in there, take care of business, and we see why the Jets were a little bit they – the, they were the hard knocks darlings. Now, obviously, if Rodgers is healthy, it's like that. But the fact, too, that if you put any other quarterback in that situation, I'm sorry, the Patriots had basically had the win for them on a silver platter, and they said, no, thank you. We're, we're not interested. That's exactly what happened last Sunday. So – if you had Aaron Rodgers in that game, 15 to 10, Jets are winning that football game. Um, Monday night football, back in Meadowlands, Giants and Seahawks. I don't know why the Giants are the favorites here. I think their offensive line's not good. We'll see what Saquon's capable of, but at the same time, too, I've been on this train. Daniel Jones is a mediocre quarterback who got paid $40 million. Ah, yeah. I laughed. I laughed, and I thank the New York Giants for paying – Daniel Jones that much because it just it, he needs you need the offensive line you need the what you need Saquon to be able to feed he doesn't even have like the weapons are just not that good and like the Seahawks I'll give them credit I thought they were they were in trouble years ago and now they've found a way to with Geno Smith to revive that that team and on, on their defense has gone better it's not perfect but and Kenneth Walker has looked so good. They've got the running game going for them, which is a great thing for Seattle. DK Metcalf has still looked great. A lot going right for for that uh, for that Seahawks team, and I think their defense is going to love this matchup against the Giants too. I this I, if you're if I'm telling anyone to smash a matchup right now, probably smash the Seahawks huge here. Get them like. This is this is where the NFL gives you a perfect opportunity to make a little bit of cash. Do it on the Giants. Bet against the Giants. If they if they prove me wrong, I will apologize. I'll come on the next show and I'll apologize. <laughs> I, I completely agree with you, but with because uh, with Seattle though, so we came I, on my last show Monday. The person I had on, we his name's Kyrie. We were talking about this with the breeze Peyton dynamic it's looking like it was more breeze than Peyton now with Seattle it's looking like it was more Carol than Russ because Russ's last season he couldn't cook and Legino Smith because even this year too I was like oh Seattle's gonna come back to earth they're not what they once were like they're slowly start, like where are they going Geno Smith looked great through his last two games I know obviously he had the bad game against at the LA but then that was a game that caught everyone off by surprise but Held his own against Carolina. He's still got Tyler Lockett, who's a very underrated wide receiver. And we haven't even seen the full potential of Jackson Smith and Jigba yet. So once he gets going, 
it's trouble. And plus two, they have Zach Charbonnet, the rookie running back, and Kenneth Walker. So they've got a two-headed monster back there. Seattle knows what they're doing. They'll, they'll be a team that'll be in the wildcard conversation. Meanwhile, with the Giants, they're a Murphy's Law team where whatever can go wrong will go wrong. And you probably love to hear that. Yeah, I mean, I, I we saw it. It, it. it all like they were on their way to running the ball down the Cowboys' throats. Daniel Jones was running around like he was owning the place. And then they get a field goal blocked for a touchdown, and it's like all all spiraled for them, right? Buzzsaw. <laughs> I, I I just see this Giants team is not very good. It's overrated. Uh, Brian Dable, I don't. Like I, I hate to say it, but I think he should have stayed in Buffalo. He should not have gone to where he's going in two weeks, right? He should not have left to, for this Giants job. I don't like trying. He tried to show how good of a coach he was that he could make Daniel Jones passable. Which look, they got they got fortunate in that game against the Cardinals. Uh, I don't know how like how the heck they pulled that win off. Partly because maybe Saquon Barkley had a little bit to do with that. Yeah. But that was one of the, like, I think people got so caught up on the Giants there. And then it's like, oh, they play a good team in the in the 49ers. And you're like, that's the Giants we know and love. <laughs> like, not a good team. So I do think, again, this is not a good offense. The defense struggles because the offense is so bad. So you're, um, like if you're Seattle, you just you give your offense as many opportunities as, you, as possible. And I don't see how I don't see where the Giants can stop them. That's personally where I, I feel like I have so much faith in the Seahawks going into this game. That's exactly how I feel. I feel like with the Giants, it's a, just a humbling experience because they need a true wide receiver one, something that they don't have. I know they have Darren Waller, but at the same time, too, when you're relying on your tight end to do it, I'm sorry, there's only one team in the NFL that can do that. There is only one player in the NFL who is in the limelight right now for the good reasons. He is the only person, and for folks of you, those you don't know we're talking about, obviously Mr. Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey, um, he's the only person you can do that with. Mark Andrews maybe to an extent, but with, we've even seen two where it's like, hey, Baltimore, they need some weapons. Meanwhile, with the Giants, you, you can't rely on Darren Waller. Darren Waller, even from a fantasy standpoint, super inconsistent. Wandale Robinson coming off an ACL. Giants fans are already sick of Paris Campbell. So it's just one of those things where – because with the Giants too, if they go to one and three, you've got Miami and you got Buffalo. I don't see them winning either one of those games, especially in the Heat. And also to Week Six, that is a Sunday Night Football game. If they are one and three after this week, I'm sorry, I know it's the Bills. You flex the Giants out of that game immediately, Week Six. Yeah, and and look, if I'm if I'm the Giants right now, Dan, you've committed four years to Daniel Jones. You better hope you can find a way out of that deal. I, I just think you you try to go after one of the top quarterbacks in in one of the next few drafts, and just you gotta you. I, I just don't see how they they think that this that Daniel Jones can lead them. It's it didn't like they they got lucky in the playoffs last year, and they paid for it. Now they're gonna pay for it again. So I, that's why I think I think the Giants are just one of those teams where they lose this game. They're gonna be one, yeah. They're in a very realistic position to go be one and five, and waste the season. Exactly, that's the thing, and you can't do that, especially with a coach who won coach of the year last year. 
they can't afford to do that. So they better hope they win this game because if you're two and three going to Miami, there's a sense of hope. But I only say the Miami lot is a loss probably because guess what? You're going to South Beach. It's not like the Miami's coming to MetLife. No, you're going to South Beach, which we learned. You don't play your cards right. You get 70 put on you. But anyway, David, this has been a blast. I know we went on for a little while, but it was a blast getting to talk football with you on the podcast as opposed to person like we always do. Um, but if people out there may not know who you are, where can they find you on the online realm? I'm going to let you have the floor on this one. Yeah, so you can follow all my uh, CFL work uh, over on my personal sub stack and also some stuff over at sportsnet.ca. Follow me uh, on the X platform, formerly known as Twitter, at D underscore Morsuti. And follow my show, Locked on Leafs. If you would like Leafs talk, go right over there. We're there five days a week. So you can find us wherever you get your podcast from and also there on YouTube as well. So that's where you can find me. Love to hear it. Well, anyway, David, it was a blast getting to chat with you today. And guys, this is just the beginning. The first 250 in the books, 500 is the next goal. Thank you very much for listening, guys. Enjoy the CFL this week. Enjoy the NFL this week because why? We love football. Oh, and also to enjoy college football. Why? Because this week you get football. If everyone thinks, oh, there's no football on Friday. You know what? You have the NFL tomorrow. You have the CFL Friday. You have college and the CFL Saturday. You have the NFL Sunday and Monday. So you've got a lot of football ahead. Thank you very much for listening to everybody. We'll see you on Monday night for another episode of Danny Dimes in Primetime. Have a good night. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamnscore.com. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network.